Big Blue Nation. This is the Courtside Connect, your go-to podcast for all things Kentucky basketball. And until someone tells me differently or beats me to it, this is what I am calling the quickest reaction podcast to Kentucky basketball games. Um, I got Braden on here with me today to get out a reaction to the LSU game. How are you doing tonight? Uh, I wish I could say good, but I mean, this is 0-2 now on my appearances on here. So, like, we got to figure out something because this, like, I want to come on here and talk positive about the team, but it's hard to do that when you get two disappointing losses. If you are a longtime Courtside Connect listener, of course, you remember Braden's debut, which was for the Notre Dame game. And I remember we were both kind of on here and following the loss, we were like, what just a dumb game. We shot two of 19 from three. Like, I feel like that'll never happen again. Like, it was our first road um appearance of the season cal i believe actually has a losing record in his first road games of the season since he got to kentucky so we weren't overly too upset about this one i feel like if you look at all the circumstances for this game you kind of make a lot more like those excuses like first first and foremost um savir wheeler going down with injury um be not having a point guard which, which we saw really hurt and really only if you don't include, obviously, C.J. Frederick, um, no longer with our team, out for the season. Dante Allen kind of got pushed out of the rotation. He, he's gotten a few chances, but really hasn't been able to make anything. So you really put yourself at four guards. And when you take one out, now you only have three, which means anytime you want to sub out a guard, you're putting in a guy like Bryce Hopkins or Jacob Toppin. And I saw that was our biggest thing because not only do we not have a second ball handler, or because I don't really call it Grady a ball handler. I think he's more of a court spacer. So when you take out like a mint or a tie tie, just to give a quick break, you're, you're not getting the spacing you need for Oscar because you have Toppin and Keon on the block as well. You don't have the driving lanes open for tie tie to get to the hoop. You don't have the space Grady needs to pull up because people are able to lock onto him. Um, also further circumstances later in the second half, Ty Ty Washington went up for a fast break layup, absolutely got hammered, didn't get the foul call. Um, Jay Billis was calling it cramps, but it looked a lot worse than cramps to me. He looked really shaken up, really bad bruises, maybe some contusions. So that's another huge circumstance where we're playing a top 21, um, 21st ranked team in the country on the road. It's an SEC game. They have something going on where they're naming their court after someone famous. So, of, of course, it's their freaking Super Bowl. And we got our two starting – our point guard, our starting shooting guard, and our backup point guard all out. You can definitely make – I don't – not even excuses. Like, these are just really bad circumstances. So, but with that being said, I still felt like we have a chance to win this game. I still feel like we should have won the game. I don't feel like we should have won the Notre Dame game. We didn't play well. It happens. I feel like – even with all those circumstances, we were given an opportunity to win this basketball game tonight. I'll go more into that later, but I want to get your reaction and how you feel about that. I agree on a level. Um, I feel like le- uh, LSU gave us a lot of opportunities in this game. Uh, I, but 
I do feel like this was LSU's game to lose. You know, you brought up all those circumstances coming into the game, home crowd, you know, uh, putting Dale Brown on the court. Um, so I, I think this was LSU's game to lose. And then, of course, just Sabir going down and Ty Ty and being without Sheepway for a lot of the first half. Um, but whenever, you know, a team like that gives you an opportunity to, you know, to essentially take the game, you got to take it. And that's, you know, and we just didn't. We had our opportunity. I mean, we, we got it within one with a minute to go. And then we had, you know, and then we didn't even get a shot off on like on the final possession. So, you know, overall, I'm not too disappointed. I don't like I didn't learn too much from this game. Uh, essentially, the only two things I take away from this game are the health of severe, severe Wheeler and Ty Ty Washington, because that's going to what that's what's going to matter most moving forward. A five point loss to LSU isn't really going to matter going forward unless we're on the bubble at some point, which won't happen. So really what matters for us is the health of those two guys. And, you know, of course you'd like to take this game because they essentially tried to hand it to you. But I don't think this was Kentucky's game to have. I think this was LSU's game to have. And they were able to, you know, sneak out of there with a win. So overall, I'm not too disappointed. But I'm just hopeful that Severe and Ty are okay. Yeah, I think maybe just what's playing in to me so much is this game is just – so annoying from start to finish it was awful and excessive foul calls in the first half it was missed foul calls in the second half um two blatantly obvious missed out of bounds calls where it should have been out on LSU we got called out on us to gave LSU possession the missed free throws we even with all these foul calls we get to the free throw line um missed 20 of them Lance Ware bricked um, four in a row in like back-to-back -back possessions. Oscar Shibway, um, he didn't make a free throw either. We had a bunch of guys bricking the front end of a one-and-one one down the stretch. We had three points in a 12-minute span, a lot of which Ty Ty Washington, I think, was still in the game for. So I know we don't have Sabra Wheeler. I know we're missing Ty Ty Washington for a lot of that. But we have got to do better as a team than three points over a 12-plus minute span. So I put out a tweet that I'm currently, as we were speaking, getting flamed for. I'll say it word for word. I'll, I'll preface it by it was not. It was a very poorly worded and a very emotional tweet. So I start by saying absolutely not giving up on this team, and I still believe they're capable of a lot. That is accurate and 100% true. I think this team is great. I think in the long run, yeah, this game is not going to be matter. But in a bubble, just focusing on this game, the second part of my tweet is, but this is a bad loss regardless of circumstance. Again, what I mean by that, at the end of the year, like you said, is a five-point loss at a ranked LSU going to kill our resume? No. Is it going to kill our season? No. I still think we're going to progress. This is not the final form of our team. I think we're going to get a lot better. I'm just talking about in this 40-minute of gameplay bubble, we had countless opportunities to win. We had the ball down – all those circumstances, we had the ball down one, and we turn it over. We get the ball back, still only down three, and we turn the ball over. We had 15 turnovers on the night, only 11 assists. I get a lot of them were like, again, we don't have a point guard. We don't have both of our point guards, but like – I remember we hit the under – no, it wasn't the under four timeout. Davion Mintz, like, had a, a full court press, 
he gets up to like a little past the half court line and he gets trapped and he calls our timeout, which is the last timeout we call it the night. It was the second to last timeout that we were allocated. Um, we come out of that timeout and we get like a Jacob Toppin air ball, which was not a good look at all. It was absolutely atrocious. Um, anyways, we go down and then I think we get fouled or some, something happens where we get the ball. Maybe it was out of bounds, but we get the ball and then it's the under four timeout. And then that possession, we come out of that timeout after three minutes and we immediately turn it over. Like Kellen Grady like dribbles it out of bounds. So point guard or not, we're coming out of timeouts. We're trying to draw up set plays and we're getting Jacob top and air balls and turnover from our fifth year senior. Like we, we need to be better than that. And again, all the circumstances given, we still have a shot to win the game at the end. We turn the ball over. We still have a shot to tie it up at the end. We turn it over. Tomorrow, this is going to be one of those games tomorrow. I'm going to wake up and I'm going to move past it because it, again, it doesn't in the long run, it doesn't matter. I think we're going to get better. Um, in a bubble just tonight, I'm super pissed. I feel like we should have won this game. Um, I hope we saw with the Notre Dame game, we lose to Notre Dame in a game we shouldn't have. We play better opponents than Notre Dame in North Carolina and Western Kentucky. Um, and including, I guess, High Point and Mizzou as well. And we blow them all out by an average of 33 points. So I'm hoping, I want to see how we respond. Um, we got a couple easy matchups coming up. We have at home against Georgia. We go at Vanderbilt, which is always weirdly a difficult matchup. I feel like we're always losing at halftime at Vanderbilt. But um, but then we come and we play Tennessee um, next Saturday, which will be a huge game. Because I think we've lost our last two home games to Tennessee, and they will be ranked. And that's going to be our, our next opportunity to prove ourselves. So anyways, um, like I said, I'm going to finish this podcast. I'm going to go to bed tonight. I'm going to wake up feeling better tomorrow. I'm going to be ready to move on. I promise you with that tweet, I'm not giving up on this team. I don't think it's a resume killer. I don't think it's a season killer. I'm ready to move on. Um, but let, before we move on, I, I do want to bring out some of the good things we saw in this game in the first half. Jacob freaking Toppin. Um, what did you see from Jacob Toppin that first half? Confidence. And, you know, that, that matters a lot. And if we get a good game from him or Keon, I mean, to me, those two guys, I mean, you saw it like in the Missouri game. Keon had a, a very, very good game, and we win big. And then in this game, Jacob Toppin comes out, has a great half, keeps us in the game. Oh, we don't need both the guys to have a good night. We just need one of them. Because I feel like I feel confident in what we're going to get night in and night out from Sheboy, Wheeler, Ty Ty, and Grady. So if you just get one of Keon or Toppin or whoever else you want to throw in there, I feel confident in our team going forward with that. And if we can get Toppin uh, more confident shots, because I think he might be our best uh, mid-range shooter outside of Keon on the team. I mean, I don't know if you remember that Tennessee game last season where he hit about I feel like four or five of those mid-range pull-ups in a row I mean he has some he has some good shots in his arsenal that he just hasn't gotten to you know use so uh, to me if we just let him get up some more shots from the mid-range and let him drive a little bit more and obviously he's an athletic freak I think if we just continue to get up his confidence he he can he can do he can have that performance you know five five more times this season I mean he's not going to be that consistent obviously but um but I think he can have those performances when we need him to and we needed him to today and it almost worked out for us so 
I was pretty, pretty pleased with Jacob Toppin. Yeah, I mean, down the second half, he kind of cooled off. I think that was mostly because he played that small forward position a lot, as we saw. Um, just because we were down guards. When, when we're down guards like that, I would, I would rather see Dante Allen play the three. I know he doesn't do nearly what Jacob Toppin does. I would rather keep Jacob Toppin or Keon at the four and throw in Dante Allen, regardless if he's hitting shots, regardless of how good his defense is, because at least he spaces out the floor. And whether he's knocking down threes or not, the other team respects him and knows that he could get unconscious at any minute. And it just helps with spacing. But Jacob Toppin, overall, um, incredible first half from him. Maybe the most impressive first half we have seen all year. I think he had 11 or 12 points. He finished with 14. He had uh, eight rebounds on the game. Um, incredible defense. He had block shots. He had steals. He had that dunk, the and one dunk. I don't think that's getting enough attention. Like, that's going to be on unspo- Like We forgot about it because of how weird of a first half it was. And because it was a road game, the crowd didn't really erupt like they should have. But what an insane dunk that was. I, I was super happy with the way Jacob Toppin played tonight. The um, second player I wanted to bring up was Davion Mintz. First, well, secondly, it will be about his performance throughout the game. But first, he was, um, he had a free throw in the first half, which got him to 999 career points between Creighton and Kentucky. Then he starts off the second half with a three, um, a kick out to Kellen Grady to get him a three off of a really good pump fake and drive and kick out. Then he gets another three himself. So, um, but anyways, in that series, he broke 1,000 career points. Um, Kellen Grady is obviously first on the team with well over 2,000. I have a little bit of trivia for you. Um, who do you think are third, fourth, and fifth um um, total career point scores on Kentucky or whether they did it at Kentucky or not. So obviously Davion Mintz and Colin Grady get their points from Creighton and um, Davidson respectively. So you can include transfers. Who do you think are third, fourth, and fifth? And I'll give you a second to think about it. Okay. Uh, I'm definitely going to have to put Sheboy in there. I think Sheboy's in there. Um, hmm. Keon, no. She might feel confident about um, CJ Frederick, um, she boy, and I guess I'll go Keon. No, severe, severe. Okay, so do you, how would how would you rank those? I'd probably go uh, third would be Frederick, fourth would be Sheboy, and fifth would be severe. Yeah, so you were really. Really close. So Keon just missed the cut. He was sixth. Um, okay. He has 400. He had 438 career points heading into today. Um, I don't know how many he had today, but he didn't pass CJ Frederick, who was in fifth, who has 459. Mm-hmm. Um, Oscar Shibway has 638 again before coming into today. Um, but Xavier Wheeler is actually third place. He has 778. I don't think he scored today. So that total does not change at all. Um, I got the order backwards, but I got the players right. (laughs) You did get all the players right. And I'm very impressed with that. But Xavier Wheeler might be a thousand point score by the time he leaves here. I mean, what what are we 15 games into the season now? So if we make a championship run, we have 25 more games. He would need to average about 
eight or we would probably have to average a little bit over nine to get that uh, 1,000 mark. And Oscar Chibwe, he could probably do it if he averages 13 or 14. Keon would obviously probably have to come back for one more year. But it's kind of funny to think, like, at the end of the year, we could have four players who have amounted to over 1,000 points over their career. And I can't – I don't think that has ever happened in a Cal team ever. Like, I just don't think players have ever been around that long, especially, like, our top scores, like – like. I'm trying to think like the first year with like John Wall, Patrick Patterson might've hit a thousand, but like our top scores are like John Wall, DeMarcus Cousins. Obviously they started at zero, so they're not getting there. So I, I thought that was a little interesting tidbit, but anyways, back to Davion Mintz had a really slow first half, a couple bad turnovers, um, really wasn't playing that well at all. But second half, like I said, turned it on, hit a three to start off the second half, dishes out a three to Kellen Grady, gets another one himself, makes LSU call timeout, puts us up four, um, made a couple more mistakes going down, but even when he got thrown to the point guard role, he was still hitting shots. He had the big three to make it a, a three-point game, a one-possession game. Then he had the clutch layup to make it a one-point game before everything I already described happened. Um, How did you feel about Davion Mitz's performance tonight? Well, after the first half, uh, I tweeted that I thought once Sharp get here, uh, got to – or once he started playing – that he might not see the court. So that might have been a little uh, uh, a little bit harsh. Uh, and then, well, I was even talking to you about how I wasn't pleased about Davion at all. But, you know, in the second half, he he was he, – he reminded me of the Davion of last year. And I guess that had to do with the fact that he was our primary ball handler for, you know, a large portion of the second half. And, I mean, you, you got to give credit to him. Uh, even when he's missing shots, you know – with four minutes or less to go in the game, he's going to make shots for you. He did it last year. Of course, it didn't uh, amount to a, a lot of wins, but he did hit shots for us last year down the stretch. And then this year, I mean, you know, he, he hit those two clutch shots, that three, and then that layup when, I mean, it was another chaotic possession, but he made something out of nothing. Uh, so I really feel like Davion um, improved his stock going forward uh, in terms, you know, with Sharp being here and Wheeler coming back whenever that's going to be. Because I was worried about him getting buried on the bench, you know, just with his recent performances. Uh, so, I, but I think he saved himself in that second half. Yeah, I agree, especially with um, Sharp. The three starting guards, they I feel like they've really established themselves, especially with their last few, several games. Um, Xavier Wheeler had the huge game against North Carolina. Ty Ty Washington has been steady, just been the silent assassin. Kellen Grady uh, had two separate six three-point games. I think he had a seven-point-three game or a seven three-pointer game, um, multiple 23-point games. So they've kind of all established themselves. Davion Mintz really hasn't gotten going. I think he's been averaging seven points on the year, including his worst shooting splits. So this is probably between his three teams at Creighton, and um, his last year at Kentucky, I know he played with Marcus Zagorowski, but this is probably the by far the most talented team he's ever been on. And his shooting splits are going down. So I, I expected his, like maybe his total points and assists to go down. I didn't expect his three-point percentage and shooting percentage to go down. This is what I thought he'd be getting better looks. But like you said today, he had, he had a really bad first half and really took over in the second half. And whether it was the off guard role when Ty Ty was still in or the lead point guard role. And I, I was super proud of how he played. Um, kind of funny looking down our stat sheet, Oscar Shibway, who I really didn't feel like had a, an exceptional game and missed a lot of the first half. 
still ended with 13 rebounds, which is just in, insane. Like in a not great game, he's, he's still, that's still the standard that he sets for himself. Um, Kellen Grady started the game 0 of 7 uh, from the field, 0 of 6 from behind the three-point arc, and finished 4 of 6 um, from the field and the three-point arc, took six three-pointers, only six shots he took in the second half, made four of them, got 12 points, um, also got a free throw to make a 13, picked up a couple big steals in the second half and a big assist, I believe, as well. So I, I was really proud of how he played. Um, overall, we, we said it before, if Xavier Wheeler plays or if Ty Ty Washington finishes out that game, I do think we win. I still wish we came away with the win because I thought we were more than capable of it. And when you are handed a game that is capable of winning, regardless of what the circumstances are, you do want to see your team win. But again, like I said, I'll go to bed tonight. I'll wake up tomorrow. I'll feel better about it. Whatever. We can move on. Um, any final thoughts from the game from you? Not really. I don't think we learned anything in this game other than when needed. I, I, well, one thing we did learn is that we still know we have a clutch performer in Davion Mims, which, which I think will be important going down the stretch. Like I said, going back to last season, he hit shots in the clutch, and today he hit, he hit clutch, uh, excuse me, uh, shots in the cl- uh, in, that's a, that's a tongue twister. Shots in the clutch. And, um, and uh, I mean, because we haven't had a lot of close games this season. So, I, I do think that was some v- valuable experience for the team moving forward. So, I guess that's something to, t- to take away. But, uh, overall, I'm, you know, I'm disappointed, like you said. But I'll go to sleep and I'll wake up and not think about it again. Yeah. So, speaking of a Kentucky team being uh, faced with injuries in a really big game against a ranked team and being put against adversity – and what needed to be a late game comeback. Let's talk about the Citrus Bowl and Kentucky going up against Iowa. We're going to switch over to football just because kind of like we said, we don't really have that much to talk about basketball. There's only so much to take away and to learn from this game. So um, I believe we beat Iowa 2017, correct me if I am wrong, but um, what what was your impression from the game, your initial reaction? Uh, I mean, this was a classic Mark Stoops game run the ball. Um, I mean, it was extremely aggravating, which is exactly how Stoops wants it. Uh, but, um, I mean, he wouldn't have it any other way. Uh, and I was just proud of the resiliency of the team. We already knew we'd be without, uh, you know, Ollie and Epps, which was really going to hurt our offense. Uh, even having Wondale, you know, it meant Iowa could focus in on Wondale more. Uh, and then being without Pascal on defense was going to be, you know, a tough loss too. And then of course, right before the game, we found out about Wheeler or Wheeler, uh, Weaver, uh, Dare Rosenthal, Cavassier Smoke, uh, Trevin Wallace. So, I mean, we had a lot of key guys out and I mean, of course, Iowa did too. And then, you know, that's, that's important to say as well. Everyone's dealing with the same problems across the country, but, uh, but I was really proud with how the team, you know, you know, came out strong and then got hit in the mouth and then finished strong. Uh, so overall, a uh, classic Mark Stoops game, uh, a classic SEC Big Ten game. And I mean, it's a great way to end the season. And I'm really looking forward to the future of the Kentucky football program. Yeah, absolutely. Me too. And we're going to get a little bit more in the future in a second. But I just I just want to say the whole year, I've been the biggest Will Levis stand and supporter. And anytime I try to compliment the man, like, oh, look at this huge game he had. Everyone always says, 
yeah, he's great, but he's not a guy that's going to go and win you a game. You know, like he can keep you in a game, but he's not going to go and win you a game. And down, what, four points with the ball on your own 20. I think it was coming off a touchback, off a punt. Um, no timeouts. I think we used them all on the previous drive on the huge stop. He comes, drives, hits Wandale four different times, almost hit Chauncey Magwood, play before the huge Wandale play, almost hit, um, who's our tie end? Isaiah Cummings. So he was absolutely balling, dropping dimes, and he went and freaking won us the game. And huge shout out to DeAndre Square, who was um, had the huge interception, was dealing with injuries, knew that our team didn't have the depth to have someone go put it in his spot. Fought it off, got the game-winning interception. Obviously, had the huge emotional ending. Just what an all-around all amazing game. Ended the season. I think it personified our team so much. Just all the fight that they had, all the never understanding how a game was going to play out. Like, was it going to be a thirty-five to twenty-eight game like we had against Mizzou, or is it going to be a super low-scoring game where a defense needs eight consecutive goal-line stands against Florida to go in? one of the biggest games in program history. So it was all of that wrapped in one. It was offense when we needed offense. It was defense when we needed defense. Um, Mark Stoops was always talking all year about playing complimentary football. This was the best version of complimentary football that we have seen all year. The offense needed to do exactly what they want to do when they needed to. And same as the defense. And I'm just super, super proud of them. Yeah. So anyways, you had said you're super happy with like the overall ending of the season. Um, these past few years, like Mark Stoops has always been known as like the eight win coach. And that's just super acceptable. And everyone's happy with it because of what we were used to at Kentucky. Um, I'll first of all, start by saying like, what were your expectations going into the season and were they met by the end of the year? My expectations were nine and three. And, uh, and, you know, uh, like I never predict, at the bowl game because you don't know who you're going to play but uh but going into this season I, I said nine and three and you know that was you know a compliment to what Mark Stoops has done uh I'm not one of those fans that is satisfied with seven or eight wins anymore because and you know that's not you know that's not to you know that's a compliment to what the program has done I'm not going to be satisfied with that because we have the talent to win nine ten games a year now and uh and uh, but of course the losses we had were not the losses I anticipated outside of Georgia. Uh, you know, I was a little basic in my predictions. I, I expected us to lose that three-game stretch with uh, Florida, uh, LSU, and Georgia, and, and it ended up being Georgia, uh, Tennessee, and Mississippi State. But um, you know, but they met my expectations in in, in terms of record. Uh, and then, of course, they exceeded my expectations offensively, um, defensively. At times during the season, I was frustrated, but overall, you know, that's just a Mark Stoops defense, you know, or really like a Brad White defense is, you know, we'll let them dink and dunk, but when you get in the red zone, we'll stop you. Um, but overall, uh, they met my expectations and, you know, in some aspects they exceeded as well. So I'm extremely satisfied with the season and I couldn't be happier moving forward. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with a lot of what you said. So my prediction was actually going into the season that we would be 10 and two. And um, our two losses would be to Georgia and Mississippi State. Those were the two I pr predicted. That was my hope and my predi prediction. My expectation of satisfaction would be 
nine and three because we always have one game a year where we play nowhere near as good as we should have and we probably should have won there was obviously the Tennessee game it was a fluke game where they whatever the hell happened they had two 80 yard touchdowns in the first two drives not like the dumbest freaking game ever it, it was the LSU basketball game equivalent of football games so um, but if they did get those nine wins, I was expecting a bowl win to get to a 10 win season. So they completely met my expectations. And especially with the wins that they got, like beating Florida, like I, I think it'd be one thing if we lost to the LSUs and the Florida and the Georgias and we took care of like Tennessee and Mississippi state. Cause we'd still have like those people saying like, Oh, we didn't win the big games, but I'm so glad that we finally took care of Florida we beat a huge name program like LSU, who's two years removed from a national championship and still has talent up and down that roster. Um, and we beat Iowa, who's a top 15 team in the country. They're going to have multiple first round picks on their team. They have a super talented roster, um, NFL talent up and down it. And, and we beat them. And I feel like we beat them by a bigger margin than the score actually showed. So I'm, I'm really happy with the outcome of the season. Um, so I predicted about... 11 and 2, 10 and 3 this season. Looking at our schedule next year, it seems very difficult to me, especially like when you look at the games we have at home and the games we have on the road. To me, a 10 win season next year would be even more impressive with the 10 win season we have next year or, or than the one we just had this year because we have Ole Miss on the road, we have Tennessee on the road, and we have Florida on the road, which are all three very losable games. And we still have Georgia who we know is going to be one of the top teams in the country. And we have our bowl game. And again, we never know who we're going to play. So that's five potential losses right there. We could be eight and five. So if, I think if we could get to 10 and three, we lose the Georgia game. I, I think we might win the Georgia game. I, I genuinely do. I think it's going to be late in, or middle of November. It's going to be really cold. Georgia's from the South. They're not used to that Lexington coldness. I feel like if we find a way to keep it somewhat even in the trenches, we could sneak out with a home victory. But being conservative, if we could win one of those three road games against um, Florida, Tennessee, and uh, Ole Miss, if we could win just one of those, and we lose to Georgia, but we take care of everything else at home, and then we go and win our bowl game, that's 10-3. and three. That scenario I played out, that's not a step up from what we did this year record-wise, but would you be satisfied with another 10-win season, especially given that schedule? Yes. I mean, like, I I was just talking about, you know, not being satisfied with seven or eight wins, but I'll always be satisfied with double digit. Um, and, and especially when you talk about the schedule, uh, I'm a little uh, down on, L or on Ole Miss next season. I mean, they lose a lot of talent, and they lost uh, some of their coaching staff to other schools. So I don't think they'll be uh, as good of a team going into next season. But, of course, it's still a road SEC West game. So, like, it'll be a tough matchup. Um, and then uh, and then Tennessee, will, uh, of course, always tough at Neyland. And then um, one's the other game, um, Florida. Uh, and, of course, Florida's Florida. Um, but we do get some of our easier games at home, which I think will help. We get Missouri at home. Or, no, I'm sorry, we get Bandy at home. Louisville at home, South Carolina at home, Mississippi State at home, home. So some of those games that might be a little more 50-50 on the road, you get them at home and you feel a little bit more confident about them. So I think overall it evens out. So I think nine and three is very, very attainable again next season, especially with 
you know, who we're bringing back, um, which I saw one of your topics about someone who, who you want to ask if I think they'll come back or not. I'll, I'll wait until you want to talk about that. But, like, the guys we got coming back and the transfers we have coming in, uh, I mean, to me, there's no reason we can't go 9-3 again. Yeah, I agree with that. And I'll, I'll definitely get to the returners in a second. But one thing I want to talk about before then, speaking of difficult schedules, do you think Kentucky is finally at the stage of their program where these games, I think next year we have Northern Illinois. Um, I don't know. I feel like we always have Central Michigan. This year, I forget what we had. I know we had New Mexico State. Obviously, we always have Louisville. Do you think it's time? Obviously, not the Louisville game because that's the Governor's Cup. But do you think it's time to take one of those games and throw in a Big Ten team like Michigan State or go and get Texas or Oklahoma or Miami or another big-name school that is probably more currently on our level, which is probably that 10 to 15 like maybe eight to 20 for being super conservative, like program in the country. Would, do you think we're ready to start scheduling maybe one, maybe even two of those games a year? Or do you think you still like the three to four cupcakes a year with such a tough SEC schedule? Um, well, I certainly don't like the cupcake games. I'm okay with one or two of them a year. Uh, but when it comes to scheduling, like you said, a Miami or a Michigan State, uh, I wouldn't necessarily schedule a team on that level that can win nine, ten games a season. But I might go get, uh, you know, a Big Ten or ACC team that wins a six or seven a year, like, you know, a Boston College or a Duke or, you know, like one of those level teams. Another Louisville you know, like more, tier team. Yeah, exactly, like another Louisville tier team uh, because, you know, it's a game that you feel pretty confident in. And if you win it, it's certainly going to help you out. But if you lose, it's not the end of the world. Um, but, you know, but, like, it's also an easier game than a Michigan State or whatever. So I would say um, – or I'd be okay with bringing back the Indiana game. I, I, I feel like Indiana's a team, you know, they've kind of fallen off the past couple of years, but I still think Tom Allen's a really good coach. Um, but I'd be okay with bringing that series back. Or – I'd be okay with playing Iowa. I mean, you know, obviously Stoops has a really good relationship with that program, uh, which I know Iowa's a little, a little bit of a step up from Indiana or Boston College, but, um, you know, typically they're an eight- to nine-win team uh, a season. So I'd be okay with that. Um, but once Oklahoma and Texas get to the SEC, I think we'll go to non-conference games. So at – so at that point, I wouldn't be a big fan of it. But for the next few, well, I guess it'd be hard to schedule a game then. But if we could somehow, you know, get in a game with one of those teams before Texas and Oklahoma get to the SEC, I'd be okay with that. Yeah. So the, the hardest thing about predicting a schedule, especially at this stage in, I guess, the offseason, what is it, like day, day three now, as it being January 4th as we're recording this, is we don't know – who is coming back and who is going to go. And I would argue that the absolute biggest name that I think is really on the fence um, is Wandale Robinson. And I don't know if anyone would argue me back in that. So I was under the impression that he is completely gone. KSR put out a report um, saying, I think they had a conversation with Vince Marrow and he was saying like, if he's a top three rounder, he's probably gone. Like that stock is too being too good. But if he falls out, there's a good chance he comes back. 
which is also the stuff that I was initially hearing as well, but I just don't see how he falls out of the third round. So for that reason, I'm going to say he's not coming back. What are your expectations for him? Uh, my expectation, like it's more likely that he's gone, um, but I don't think it's totally out of the realm of possibility that he comes back. If I had to give like a percentage scenario, I'd go probably 75 gone, uh, 25 comes back. Uh, of course, he'll go through all the process as he should uh, and, you know, talk to scouts and go through the programs and train out and train the teams and whatnot as he should. But um, I don't, and of course, in this new age of NIL, uh, there's, there's going to be plenty of opportunities for Wandale Robinson to make money if he comes back to Kentucky. I saw on Twitter, and granted, I don't know if this was a legitimate offer or not, but somebody was offering him a million dollars on Twitter. I don't know if that's legitimate or whatever, but uh, there's certainly money to be made if he comes back. So it's not one of those scenarios where, you know, he comes back and if he gets injured, you know, his career is over. I think Kentucky – you know, the fan base and the university would take care of him. Um, yeah, I mean, of course, the university would take care of him money-wise. I just mean, you know, in the future. Um, but, um, no, but I think that, you know, BBN is going to be very kind to Wandell Robinson's pockets if he were to come back. Uh, I mean, they already have been from what I hear. He's already making quite a bit of money. So it was, I, I've been really pleased with uh, how the NIL stuff has gone for the football program because at first I was a little worried about that. But, I mean, it seems to have worked out really well for the football program. But um, so I'll go 75 gone, gone 25 back, uh, which might be a little on the optimistic side. Um, but I really do think that another year in this system, you know, he might break his own record because I think he's going to have better pieces around him next year and get more opportunities to get the ball. And I think, you know, obviously a, another year, uh, for Cohen to really uh, understand the game of college football is really going to help. So, uh, so I'm cautiously optimistic there's a chance he could come back, but I'll lean no, but maybe. Yeah, I'm a little less optimistic than you. I will say 20% comes back, 80% gone. I compared a lot to the Isaiah Jackson um, decision of last year that we saw, where again, like he has such high pro potential that. Even if he loses out on a year of pro money, he can make it up by getting a bigger contract if he sneaks up in one of those first two rounds. If Wandale comes back and, again, gets in the second year of Will Levis, maybe he hits him on a few more of those deep routes. He shows a little more of what he can do. He breaks his own records. If he get into the second round as opposed to maybe a fourth-round contract while still getting NIL money, the NIL money might cancel out a lot of what that NFL money would be and he would be making more over the next several years because his contract as a second rounder is much greater than what it would be in the third or fourth round. So, but at the end of the day, I think he, he will be solid. Like someone will guarantee him a spot in the third round. And that's just going to be just the dream of living an NFL player, um, taking that next leap. He did everything he needed to for Kentucky. He won us a bowl game. He came back. He set records at one college. He went to his home state. He set more records there. So I, I think at the end of the day, he's ultimately going to go pro, which, first of all, if he comes back, I mean, a second year of Will Levis 
um, Wandale Robinson, Chris Rodriguez, and Liam Cohen, and you throw in the other Robinson, the transfer from uh, Virginia Tech, and add Keenan Upshaw, like that is that's like a Kansas City Chiefs level offense right there. Like that is weapons <laughs> everywhere. Like I feel like we would put up like thirty five a game and have like three different Heisman can- uh, candidates. But anyways, um, assuming he doesn't go, as we're both fairly more on the positive side that he does, that he does leave. Are you comfortable with our wide receiver room as is? Like, again, we have the the Robinson transfer from Virginia Tech. We have a huge – he's like a six seven wide receiver. We got a guy from Michigan State last year. I think it's Trayvon Morgan was his name. Uh, Diggle Crowdis. Uh, we have – do you think like he and Barry in are ready? Um, Magwood, I think he's going to take a huge step up. Um, what do you think? Do you think we might need another wide receiver added to that? Um, even with like Keaton Upshaw coming back, or are you happy with the offensive weapons we have as is? Uh, I think I'd be okay with what we have, but also at the same time, I wouldn't be mad if we went out and got somebody else. I feel confident in, in Robinson from Virginia Tech, and also uh, I feel like Cummings may move back to receiver now that we don't have that depth issue at tight end with uh, Upshaw. Um, and so that would help. And then you mentioned Magwood. Uh, I think he's going to take a huge leap. And then you have Rashawn Lewis, who performed really well last spring and uh, like and this fall. He didn't really get to play uh, that much this season, but I think he'll get in more uh, this upcoming season. And and then you mentioned, uh, you know, these guys probably won't play much this year, but Dan Key's going to be really good. Uh, Curtis will be really good. Marion Brown, who's apparently making all sorts of plays on – uh, on Twitter, uh, I've seen his name a lot today, uh, you know, like on Twitter and just making a lot of good plays. So, um, so I think we have a lot of good young talent. Um, you know, now, like it is young talent, like outside of Robinson, but um, but overall, I feel pretty confident about you know like the weapons we have moving forward. And then we, you know, and then also I think we're going to use uh, more running backs um, in the passing game uh, next season. We'll you know we'll have Lavelle Wright and Juta McLean. Uh, I'd say Cavassier is probably going to transfer. He, I, I, you know, that's just a I, I, that's just a guess. In fact, I think he might have even tweeted so, something um, referring to that. Um, but you know, but still, I think we'll have Juta McLean and uh, Lavelle Wright, who are both really good pass catchers. So I think we're really going to get um, you know a really solid passing game next season, even with Wondell gone. Yeah, we got Donut as well, assuming he doesn't transfer as well. I know we got a super deep backfield. I know he's a wide receiver running back hybrid. So I, I kind of agree with you. I, I, I feel like it's kind of like on the edge where it's like, I feel like if we bring in another guy, we're pushing some of these young guys down too much. Like I do want to see Crowdis and Magwood take their shots, maybe even see some freshman Barry and Brown. Um, but again, like almost without him, like I don't like is Robinson going to be a Lynn Bowden and um, Wandale Robinson like type of player where he can like he can single handedly be that good and be a pure number one. But if he's not a pure number one, I kind of almost feel like we need someone who's already solidified themselves at, that can be like a one B to a one A, you know, but. Again, I don't think wide receiver is our biggest need. Um, personally, I think we need to hit the portal hardest in our secondary. I don't think a lot of people would disagree with that. Anywhere else you think we need to hit the portal? 
Um, I mean, not really. Uh, if, you know, I guess we'll have to wait and see what uh, Jaquez Jones and uh, DeAndre Square do uh, in, in terms of their decisions. If they decide to go, then linebacker may be a position that we may need to look at because we did lose uh, Katie McDaniel to uh, Central Florida earlier today. Um, so, uh, but I think, I think DeAndre Square comes back. Um, once again, you know, I don't have any insight on that. Like, that's just a hunch I get. Um, and then as far as like Jaquiz Jones, maybe he can't even come back. Now I can't remember. But, um, you know, if he can come back. I think with the COVID year, he has one more year left if he wanted to. I think he does have the decision. Okay. Well, if he does, I don't see why he wouldn't. Um, so, uh, so I think there's a scenario where we get another season of uh, Jaquez Jones and DeAndre Square. Uh, but if one of them or both of them were to leave, then I think we might need to look at the transfer portal for uh, some more linebacker depth. So just looking at our roster right now, is there a player that you really see that maybe hasn't quite got the opportunity or had an injury or whatever it may be that you're expecting for a huge jump? Maybe there's still a little, little smaller capacity, but now you're ready for a huge jump next year and be a serious part of our team. Who is that for you? I feel like I'm taking the easy answer here going first, but I think the answer is Keaton Upshaw. Um, uh, you know, obviously, Cohen wants to get the tight ends more involved. Vince Merrill wants to get the tight ends more involved. How uh, about Cummings uh, came in and filled that role pretty nicely uh, this season in his absence. And, of course, we had Bates and Rigg um, who were there as well. But I think uh, Keaton Upshaw is going to get his opportunity next season to shine. And, I mean, you saw the flashes uh, – uh, two years ago, or excuse me, last season, uh, whenever, or, or no, yeah, two years ago, like in that Florida game. Uh, and so I just have a feeling that he's going to take off. Yeah. Um, I kind of, again, letting you go first, that was kind of like the easier one. So I, I did pick a couple other ones. And some people, I guess, might not say that this qualifies because they kind of already have started their takeoff, but both of them had um, big injury setbacks this year. So I have one guy in offense and one guy in defense. The guy on offense, I'm not sure exactly what position he's going to play because I think a lot's going to change with the big blue wall. But I think Eli Cox is going to have a huge year next year. And I think he might be the most single important member of the big blue wall. Like, Kennard is definitely gone. Um, Rosenthal, I've heard, is kind of 50-50, probably more leaning towards going back, but you really don't know. Um, is Fortner a senior? Like, is he out of eligibility now? Yeah, he's done. Yeah, so he's gone. So I don't know if he's going to play one of the tackles or guard or even move to center, but I, I think he's going to be absolutely huge for our offense next year. And again, the big blue wall is the foundation of everything that we do here at Kentucky, um, at least on the offensive side of the ball. And the second one, again, a guy that um, I remember when, I believe it was Marquan McCall went down earlier this was one of the guys that was supposed to step up and he kind of already was playing in a great uh, backup capacity and he gets put in the starting lineup. And I think he only played one, maybe a game and a half before he got injured. Um, and that's Octavius Oxidine. And he, I think he's going to be an absolute beast next year. I think he's going to fill um, right up on that front line, win a lot of the games in the trenches, be in a very similar role as to what Josh Pascal was for us this year. Um, just as both a rusher and just a guy that's going to eat up that offensive line and fill in gaps. So I'm, 
I, that those are my two predictions, uh, Cox and Octavius. And also one of my best friends from college, Colson, if you're listening to this, um, he is actually the RA. He's an RA and one of his residents is Octavius. So he said that he is absolutely huge and I'll take his word for it. So I'm going Eli on the offensive end and Octavius on the defensive end. What do you think about those two picks? I love both picks. I'm, I'm kind of mad at myself for not taking Ox first. Um, uh, and I'll add someone on the deep. And I'll, I'll also add Eli Cox, midseason All-American. So you can't go wrong with that one. I hated that he got hurt there. Uh, but um, but um, as far as defense goes, I'll add somebody. Uh, you, you saw him make a big play in that uh, Citrus Bowl, but I'll go with uh, Trayvon Ripka. Um, I feel like he's going to take a big step up next year. Uh, he got some good pressure on uh, on some running plays throughout that game. And then, he, yeah, he was in on that big tackle uh, there towards the end of the game. Uh, I'm pretty sure that was the play that uh, that their center got hurt. So he got helped out a little bit uh, with the injury. But still, you know, he was in some pressure beforehand anyway. Um, but I, I have a feeling he's going to uh, take a big step up the, uh, next season. And, I, I mean, and like, we're going to need it because, you, know, you know, defensively, we're gonna lose some guys because a lot of those guys were seniors, um, which it it didn't feel like it because a lot of those names were like guys playing for the first time, but they just had to wait their turn. Um, but you know, like a lot, but I think what nine of the eleven or maybe ten of the eleven uh, guys who started for our team last season were uh, were seniors. So you know, there's gonna be a lot of new names out there, and I think Ribka is gonna be one of them that's gonna step up. Yeah, I think we're gonna see a lot more over. T- overturn in rosters or turnover that's the right way to say that turnover in roster um across all of college football because you still have all these juniors and seniors that are graduating or going pro but you're also having all those other super seniors fifth year seniors that decided to take the COVID year decided to take advantage of that COVID year and come back for another year so not only do you have your normal graduating class but you also have like half of a second graduating class that decided to come back and were starters last year and you're losing them too. So we feel like you're losing one and a half times as many players um, on both sides of the ball for programs across the entire country. So transfer portal is going to be absolutely huge. Like I said, I feel like secondary needs to be huge. Um, maybe some guys, you know, in the trenches on both sides of the ball wouldn't hurt linebacker. We'll see what decisions certain people make, maybe wide receiver, but overall, like like you said, I think we have a lot of guys ready to step up, especially on the offensive end, a lot of young um, playmaking talent. So I'm super excited for that. And I feel like we're getting pretty up in time. So any last words before we get out of here on either side, uh, basketball or football? Keep the faith on the basketball end. Uh, it's just one game and we got some easy games coming up. And then like on the football end, like as Mark Stoops would say, like we're just getting started, bro. So like I, I think we're in, in for a good future moving forward. Yep, completely agree. Thank you. Um, if you're listening right now, it means you either sat through my entire basketball rant and decided to listen or skipped over it and decided to give me another chance in the football category. So I appreciate you guys. We're seeing um, over here at the courtside connect. We're seeing another huge increase in following. So 
good takes or bad, you guys are still listening. So I appreciate you guys all very much. And if you ever agree with something or disagree with something or have further input to what I'm saying, go and drop it down on Twitter. Go find the episode where I posted. I'd, I'd love to talk. It's the courtside connect. It's not the courtside one guy sits on his throne and is the only guy that gets to talk. Um, I want to talk to everyone. I want to hear what y'all have to say. But, um, yeah, I, I, I want to reiterate what Braden said. Don't give up on this team. I'm as frustrated as anyone about this loss, but you can see the potentials there. It was an unfortunate loss. We're, we saw with the Notre Dame and even Duke losses, we respond to losses as well. So I can't wait to see how we respond to this one. Take that next step and jump forward with our team. Um, and with the football team, can't wait to see how some of these young guys step up. Can't wait to see some of these big decisions, which ultimately might add – multiple or at least one win to our team next year might even get us to 11 wins um get us to a new year six bowl that's my goal for next year um but yeah as always thank you guys for listening great and thank you for coming on where can we find your work uh you can find my work at catscoverage.com uh i'm me and isaac matthews are doing women's basketball uh for cats coverage of course i'm in the game and it seems like a century now but uh but whenever there are games and big news, we'll have you covered. So are you in senior high, a senior in high school right now? Uh, like I graduated from high school in May. Okay. So I didn't, I didn't know this until you told me recently, but our boy here has been writing since his freshman year of high school covering Kentucky news. So all I got to say is I'm currently a junior in college and I, I still am not a great all-around writer, which some of you might pick up. I feel like I do a pretty good job of getting information out there, do a good job of the analysis. But this man has been writing since his freshman year of high school. Like, I swear I would have some of the worst articles of all time if I was writing. And this guy's experience. Hey, some of them weren't that great. I mean, you, I mean, like it's gotten better, but they weren't that great starting out. You got that super unique combination of having that young voice, that up-and-coming voice, but still having like all the experience. So if you're into Kentucky sports at all, go check out his writings. I'm sure if you you will enjoy it. If you're into women's basketball, you're into that side of the basketball. Um, definitely go check him out because he's probably one of the best female uh, or women's basketball writers for any site that I've seen. At least he's doing a great job covering them. So go check him out, CatsCoverage.com. That's where you could find me as well. You can find the Courtside Connect on apple Podcasts or google Podcasts, wherever the hell that is as well as spotify um yep yeah, so as always thank you guys for listening go check out our work and as always go cats just need to clear my mind